Hello and welcome to the Worst Movies We Own podcast. This is my beautiful wife, Natalie, and I am Bobby. We're very much the James Franco and the Ellen Barkin of the podcasting world. <laughs> this episode we have watched... John Carpenter's The Ward. From what year, Natalie? 2010. Natalie, mm. why don't you tell the people at home what the Worst Movies We Own podcast is all about? Well, I'll try. Bobby and I are married. We watch a lot of films together and we've decided to watch the worst DVDs we own according to the ratings these films have received on the website Letterboxd. Some we've seen before, some we haven't. We've not bought anything specifically for the podcast. It's a mixture of things we've accrued over the years, charity shop gambles, stuff included in box sets, things we've bought that other people just don't enjoy. We're hoping to find some treasures amongst these low-rated films, so we'll watch it each one with an open mind, hoping for the best. Lovely stuff. Now, by accident, no planning, no intention, we find mm. ourselves surfing the zeitgeist at the moment, being quite a topical choice this episode. Because uh -huh. we, we are reviewing Amber Heard's starring vehicle, The Ward. Yeah, absolutely not intentional. Absolutely not intentional. We're not really going to talk about that at all. No. No? We're going to approach it very much, I think, as a John Carpenter movie. John Carpenter's swan song, it would appear. It, this is the last film he's made? This is the last film he made, and it was after a ten-year break of making films. He's not dead, is he? He's not dead, no. He's doing his music. Yeah, so he might make another film. It's possible he might make another film. I don't think he... You know, I, I say this as if I've got any idea of what goes through John Carpenter's head, and he's usually someone who voices his opinions quite a lot but I don't think I think this was just him seeing if he still had the old magic and he's done it I don't think he really intends to go back to making films he's happy doing soundtracks for films that don't exist sure that's what he's into do you like John Carpenter? I think he's one of those directors who uh, I, I really like certain of his films but by no means would I say I'm a John Carpenter fan because he kind of runs the gamut of you know great to terrible Halloween's probably my favourite horror film. Uh, I love The Thing. I enjoyed Assault and Precinct 13, etc. Uh, they Live with him as well. They Live with him as well. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, he's got really good films, but then there's there's other stuff that is just, I can't think of anything apart from this. That's an example of well, the, the other end of the spectrum. I think, I think he's got, his films fall into three categories. Absolute bona fide classics. Mm -hmm. Assault and Precinct 13, The, the Thing, um, Halloween. Mm -hmm. Which wouldn't make my top five personally, but I would not in any way discredit the Halloween, okay? Mm. Then you've got his ones that are kind of cult classics. It can go either way. You can get you in the right mood. They can get you in the wrong mood. Uh, I love Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, yeah. I don't like cool. Prince of Darkness or Dark Star. Not seen those. Um, but some people think they're just as good. So, you know... It's that's difficult, but they feel like John Carpenter films. You couldn't say they're not like John Carpenter films when you watch those other ones. And then you've got his post in the mouth of madness career where he carried on making movies, but they just weren't good. Your Village to Damned remake, Escape from LA, yes. Vampires, Ghosts of Mars. Mm. So he did kind of take a break. He made a couple of like kind of TV horror episodes right. of things, but he pretty much stayed away and then he came back with the ward and being a John Carpenter fan, and I would definitely put myself in that camp, I was very excited. Mm. I thought it's a big comeback. And that's kind of how it was pitched in reviews and features leading up to the release of the film. And I went to see it on opening day at the Empire of the Square. I had to pay full whack because it wasn't on in many cinemas. Mm -hmm. And there were... It's, it's a massive cinema, the Empire of the Square. Mm -hmm. It's huge. It's probably seats about 
I'm going to say roughly 4,000 people. There were three lonely men oh. in that screening. And I remember about half an hour into the film looking around going, there's just three of us in here and we've all paid a ten and that can't possibly even keep the lights on yeah. in this big space. But that was that. And he's not really gone back to cinema again. But, you know, I love the thing. In the Mouth of Madness, I think, was one of the first horror films I went to see at cinema. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a shame that was kind of really what should have been a swan song. Is that what we watched recently? The yeah, Sam Neill thing? That's the Sam Neill Oh, one. that was very good. Yeah, yeah, that is very good. Like I say, John Carpenter is, is a brilliant director. You very much know you're watching a John Carpenter film. I would say in the case of The Ward, that's not actually true. Mm. Anyone could have directed this. Yeah. Why don't you tell people what the plot of The Ward is? I'm going to keep it pretty brief because it's easy. So there's a girl called Kristen. She's institutionalised after setting fire to a farmhouse and she's put on a ward with a small number of other young women suffering from a variety of disorders under the care of Dr. Jared Harris. Uh, Kristen soon discovers the ward is being haunted by the ghost of a former patient called Alice, who is picking the residents off one by one. Brilliant. Should there, I mean, it's not the most imaginative plot in the world, but there should be a good movie in there. There should be. I mean, on paper, this is right up my street. It's, you know, girl interrupted with a ghost, isn't it? it that's exa- exactly how I would have pitched it, yeah. It yeah. is that. Or identity with nothing but unknown hotties. Yeah, not wanting to ruin anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, there's going to be spoilers <laughs> for this movie and possibly other movies that involve multiple personality disorder twists. Because they all have the same <laughs> twist. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, no, I mean, I was, I was looking forward to watching this. I've been looking forward to it since you told me this was going to be our next film. Mm-hmm. Even though I'd already seen it, I couldn't remember anything about it. And yeah, I mean... Uh, mental institutions are fertile ground for horror look at that whole series of uh, American American Horror Horror Story Story, which is probably the best of the series of American Horror Story that we've seen you know it's terrifying the the thought of being locked up in and and they're always you know they've always got really bad plumbing and they're always Mm -hmm. really dirty dingy buildings this is set in the 1960s but in a kind of what should look like a modern building really on the inside but it doesn't uh, but you know, straight jackets, uh, electric electroshock therapy, straps on beds, and being locked in, and the added terror of you know the fact that they used to lock women up in these places for nothing. And it is hinted at though the disorders aren't really explored in great detail. But a number of the young women have what would you call them? feminine disorders that yeah. aren't disorders one's yeah. a lesbian one's, one's a bit a horny yeah, yeah. <laughs> um it's it's you know it's scary stuff or it should be yeah i mean i think you off the top of my head i can think of quite a few that, uh, asylum set horrors you've got things like house on haunted hill you've got um the quiet ones also starring jared harris um you've got session nine have you ever seen that no that's a good one that's a disused asylum day but that's a uh, Five men have a job clearing out the asbestos in an asylum and then suddenly go mad when they realise what's been, what's happened in the uh, asylum before. stars Peter Mullen. Oh. But uh, it was, it's a good movie. Really good movie. Unlip Gem. Oh, tell a lie. I have seen that. It mm. is a good film. Yeah. That, Peter Mullen's brought it back to me. Um, but but even, I... even non-horror films set in asylum scare me. Mm. You know I had repeated nightmares from Ace Ventura Pet Detective. Because of that whole sort of like section of the film where he goes and sees Dan, um, Ray, Ray Hinkle, Ray Finkel's Finkel, yeah. bedroom and goes to the mental institute, 
and has to wear the tutu. Yeah. Terrifying. I mean, the good thing about a mental, disused mental asylum is it's a great movie set in terms of you've got some of it you say look already looked gothic and already looked creepy, but you can put a film crew in there. They can probably live in it as well while they make the film. And it probably keeps the budget down to have such a, a, um, a windy, windy setting that you can be based yeah. in. Didn't we know someone who did one of those caretaking Yeah, we knew jobs. a comedian called Stuart Black who did one of those jobs where you live in to protect the building and he was living in an asylum for a bit. I, I, could, I could not do that. I mean, I, I know, you know, you, you're not paying any rent and it's great value, but... I think they're all, they've got to be haunted. They're all haunted. He didn't seem to suffer any real problems from living in there. I'd say it's more along the lines of, because so much has been removed before the, pl- the place has been hollowed out as such, mm. you see different decades of uh, painting and decoration to try and make the place look from calming to bright to clinical <laughs> as, as you yeah. go around different rooms. Do you know, um, I have, I've obviously had this fear of mental institutions my entire life because i saw Ace ventura when i was six mm-hmm. for the first time or whatever we're going back to that yeah well no i've got a little anecdote okay go on to it uh, when i was 16 my dad sold our house just before i did my gcse's and i had to live in a travel lodge for a month whilst mm. we were waiting for our flat to be ready and this was the uh very presswich travel lodge or premier inn the grounds of the premier inn backed onto the grounds of a very, very large mental hospital in Presswich, um, in, in North Manchester, huge. Um, and it was little, I, I could see out of my window, that's what I went to bed yeah. looking at every night, was a mental institution. It was um, a very dark time in my life. That's fine, and I'm sure you went through that. And the irony is these days, if you're, if you're staying in, let's say, any of the budget, uh, hotel chains chances are the person who slept in your bed the night before is someone with mental health issues because they're often used to house temporarily house uh, people who've lost their home yes <laughs> that is true i didn't think of that as well um when when i grew up our local community center was um the mental hospital and then orphanage that charlie chaplin's mum were in when they were kids so right so wow, that it was, was a awesome. mental institution and, an and, orphanage. and and you would not if you walked into you go yeah this definitely used to be an asylum <laughs> so there we go mm. shall we do facts and figures and then we'll move on to what we liked and didn't like about mm-hmm. the ward uh, John Carpenter's The Ward released in 2010 is directed by none other than John Carpenter written by Michael and Sean Rasmussen but the music was not done by John Carpenter mm. massive fumble there uh, it's done by a guy called Mark Killian um, on the DVD commentary Jared Harris asked John Carpenter why he didn't do the uh, music, and he said, oh, I'm too old. Right. And then for the next 10 years, he's carried on making music for films. <laughs> yeah, there was a bit where you said, oh, no, maybe John Carpenter did do the music, because it's very much it, but I suppose that's Mark Killian, did you say? Yeah. a uh, homage. Yeah, uh, Mark Killian hasn't set the model light in terms of his movie scores. Some of his earlier stuff is quite big films, but slowly but surely he's moved into direct-to-video horror sequels and the like. Mm. It stars Amber Heard, Jared Harris, Mamie Gummer, Daniel Panabaka, Laura Lee and Lindsay Finesca. It was released in the States on July 8th, 2011. It has a budget of 10 million, but only made 5.8 million worldwide in the cinemas. I assume it actually probably did do a bit of business in terms of DVDs and streaming. Mm -hmm. It has got an internet movie database score of 5.5 and a letterbox score of 2.4, putting it firmly where... We're reviewing things at the moment on yeah. the podcast at that kind of meh. 
So Natalie, what mm. did you like about John Carpenter's The Ward? Well, we've already touched on it, but I like the concept. So we won't go too much into the setting because we've already talked about that. But uh, I like a ghost story. There is this ghost, Alice, uh, bothering people. It it doesn't... Is she a good haunting ghoul? Oh, God, no. No? Oh, you want to start talking about that already? Oh, no, I didn't realise she was going to be on your list. I just asked some questions. She's not on my list per se. I mean, mm. we'll go into it in more detail when we talk about what, what we didn't like. But the fact that they've made a ghost story is mm -hmm. what pleases me. Okay. Because um, maybe around about this time, we did get a little spate of ghost stories. Yeah. Because The Conjuring came along. And mm. um, oh, before that was The Orphanage. The Orphanage is older than this, isn't it? But you've also got, yeah, they're all roughly around the same time. You've got things like The Unborn as well and stuff like that. It was, yeah. I think there was a nice little period post all the remakes. Mm. Not that they ever really finished remaking stuff, but but they'd start going, well, horror makes money, so now we can give just something that's of its kind a try rather than yeah. specifically branded. I think what I'm trying to say is that a lot of the stuff on paper ticks boxes. So mm -hmm. uh, female-led, ghost, self-contained setting, uh, period setting, 1960s. So I don't think they make the most of that. Um, I think they could have made the whole thing a bit grimmer mm -hmm. because, you know, 1960s American mental health care, I can't imagine is, well, particularly nice, considering that Girl Interrupted is the best that you could possibly have of it because it's middle class. Yeah. Well, this, this in theory is as well, if, if we talk about the twist, yeah, in that I suppose her parents are loving parents who've put her in to recover mm. from a horrible trauma. Yeah, which makes sense at the end. Yeah. But up until that point, you're thinking, why is it so nice? <laughs> um... And, you know, a lot of it happens at night time. It follows the the pattern that a horror film should follow, the whole, and then there was one, kind mm -hmm. of picking people off one by one. Um, but as we'll go on to talk about in the next section, it doesn't do any of these things particularly well. So what I'm saying is, I'm glad it tries, but wish it had tried a bit harder. Yeah, it's a good meat and potatoes attempt to do a very basic form horror. Yeah. Which would be fine if it's a, a debut by someone. Yeah. But we're talking about a master of horrors made this. Yeah. And that is probably where things start to niggle a little bit. Yeah. I mean, what we're getting in recent years, the best horror we're getting in recent years, is horror that is an homage to what's gone before. It recognises mm. what works and it does its own thing. I mean, quite often it does tend to do the period thing, which makes it a bit easier on itself. So, yeah. you know, examples being like the Thai West, is he called? Yeah, Thai West recently. is great. X um, has got a kind of a, a Texas Chainsaw Massacre style, you know, mm -hmm. in the middle of nowhere, group of annoying young people thing with it. Mm -hmm. And then we watched, um, which I absolutely loved recently. The House of the Devil. The second time, House of the Devil, yeah. uh, which has got more like that kind of 70s yeah. babysitter alone in the house um kind of vibe and but it, it improves on it it does it it ticks the boxes but it does its own thing as well and it still manages to be scary um and that's what i would have wanted from this something that i know john carpenter's really old so it's kind of like he's harking back to halloween 2 yeah but you know well, he could have just made halloween 2 but made it better mm -hmm. yeah it's i mean we're quite lucky, I think, in terms of horror, because when we were getting into horror, we had a whole back catalogue of 
those 70s and 80s directors, Carpenter, Craven, Cronenberg, those types to kind of explore and pick out what we liked and didn't like. Mm. And now that we're kind of, let's say, more mature film fans, mm. horror's going through a great period where your Rob Zombies and your Ty Wests mm, and a great example, yeah. James Wan are all out there. And James Wan's you know, sometimes making very classy stuff and sometimes making absolutely batshit mental stuff like Malignant. Mm. And then you've got your elevated horror people like your Jordan Peels and uh, Ariasta, mm. who, you know, I don't think e- you know, either of us love quite as much as everyone else, but you can't deny how good a filmmaker Jordan Peele is. Mm. Uh, and then there's probably about five or six other directors floating around who like the guys who did the new Scream film and mm. uh, Adam Wingard and stuff that we wouldn't even discuss usually, but they're out there making a film every couple of years that's definitely genre, definitely horror. Mm-hmm. And you kind of go, it's, it's a great time to be a horror fan, even if we can't name half the directors of films that we've enjoyed. Half the people who make Bloomhouse movies, we couldn't name. Mm-hmm. Who, I can't remember who did Happy Death Day and Freaky. Oh, yeah, but no, we, we should, because we, we should like be able it to. So much, yeah, they're, yeah, they're fun films. So it's a really good time. And the problem is, I think, sadly, there was just that weird middle period where horror went slightly out of fashion. And then there was a lot of remakes, and the remakes were meh. <laughs> yeah, I think as well, and this is still the case with some stuff, horror tends to get aimed at people who are slightly too young for the certificates on the mm-hmm. film. So you do get, you know, these ridiculous horror films that we would never go and see unless there was nothing else on like the one that's based on social media or the one <laughs> yeah, you'd have to narrow that down i think there's about five or six ones that are based uh, well, on any social of those media. Yeah. um which are just not you know they're for kids essentially yeah. they might be 15s or whatever uh but they're, they're for pre-teens mm. when it comes to actually sitting down and watching it um but that's what's being made yeah i mean that's the, the really weird thing is there was no one in 1989 who went it's a Game Boy, but it's haunted. Or it's, it's an etch sketch but it's haunted. But nowadays... Like, yeah, I oh, suppose the Japanese <laughs> kind of did it with a mobile phone. With, yeah, but that's... Uh, call waiting or whatever it's called. Yeah, one miss called. One miss called, yeah. But I guess with those films, you could say that that's a universal, everyone's using it, whereas the social media ones seem very faddy. Yeah. Like, kind of... Um, in about 10 years' time, I reckon you might have to explain to people what a Zoom call is to younger people when they watch, um, what's the Zoom horror one? Shut, oh, I can't remember the name. The thing we watched that was about an hour long. Yeah, I can't remember what it's called. Host. Host, that's it, yeah. yeah. He's got a new film coming out soon, so we'll see if he can pull off the same trick twice. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. But I, I mean, that's a nice general discussion about horror, um, but I think the ward is quite traditional. In what it does. In fact, probably more traditional than anything John Carpenter really made when he was at its, the height of his powers. Mm-hmm. It feels like something that could have easily been made before the Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Assault on Precinct 13 or Nightmare on Elm Street. Well, do you know what it made me think of? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is kind of straying now into what I didn't like, but that's not really an issue because there's not loads I like. So if you don't mind, no, I'll do, digress. Do. Yeah, digress. Um, it reminded me of uh, an episode of The X-Files we watched literally this week mm-hmm. and an episode of Buffy. Uh, from I think the second series where she's in hospital it's not a mental hospital but she's in hospital and there's something patrolling the corridors mm. it to me this felt like a an episode of a tv series of that ilk of that x-files monster of the week kind of buffy whatever mm-hmm. um 
that I would probably count as an episode that I really like and look forward to because of its setting, because of what it goes for and what it yeah. does. It's my bag. Mm-hmm. And that's the best thing I could probably say about it. It doesn't yeah. feel... It feels like um, that it's not ambitious enough to be considered a good grounding for a film. Mm-hmm. But what it's got there would be probably quite a good foundation for a TV episode. Yeah, I'd say possibly the kills would have to be better or some of the personalities would have to be better defined. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard to say you care about any of the characters. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem when you're in one setting. Whereas if you take another example of a John Carpenter film that's uh, set in one place, the thing, mm-hmm. while they are all like kind of 10 grumpy middle-aged men, there's some that kind of always fade into the background, but there's others you're absolutely fascinated by. And mm-hmm. because... They're such intriguing personalities, probably because the character actors have been cast in them. You couldn't possibly consider that that might be an alien organism rather mm. than a human. So that sometimes when they actually do reveal themselves, it's an absolute shock yeah. that the thing could replicate such a complex person. Mm. It's the same, same principle with Halloween, though. It's absolutely mm. gutting when Annie gets killed because, you know, she's... She is, even though she is one of two friends of the main character, both of them, um, PJ Souls and, I can't remember her name, um, the actress who plays Annie, but they're both well-rounded and likeable, and you, you know, you genuinely, genuinely feel sad when they get bumped off. Yeah. And that, you need that in a film that follows this pattern of, uh, and then there were none, or and then there was one. Um, and, and I do think that horror films, because so many horror films have that approach, mm. but quite a lot of them don't bother setting up the characters. No. If you take Scream as a really good example, mm. you care about every character yeah, in Scream exactly. one. Whereas the other end of it, uh, the spectrum would be something like Friday the 13th, where I can't even picture a Friday the 13th character who gets mm. killed other than Kevin Bacon. True. And, or, you know, someone with impressive impressive breasts <laughs> yeah. in a very tight t-shirt <laughs> yeah. fair enough so what is there anything else you liked about the world um i liked the fact that i like the mystery aspect of it i like i think maybe it would have done itself a better service if it had leaned more into the mystery than the horror because you've got this shadowy kind of they keep referring to the treatment mm-hmm. that these kids are getting which seems to be refreshers <laughs> those, you know, they those are candies. tasty looking pills <laughs> yeah um and no therapy like one group therapy session mm-hmm. and a bit of the old metronome uh, yeah. hypnosis well, well there's a part of me that wonders when um we see them die in the operating room but they get a spike up the nose or mm-hmm. uh, electroshock therapy mm-hmm. is that an actual procedure happening that's getting rid of the personality but we're seeing it as the metaphor of the ghost killing them it could be but it's never made clear no um and the the whole trepanning is it called where you get spiked through your mm, eye or whatever yeah. it is quite extreme i think there are side effects from that i don't <laughs> think you'd be um up and looking quite so glossy haired and together or does it affect your hair i'd imagine you probably can't wash it for a day okay yeah. certainly don't get the old hair dryer on it like these ladies do <laughs> um but you know Jared Harris is a is a shadowy character. You don't really see him that much. You don't know what his motivations are. Uh, though we can talk a little bit later on about 
how it doesn't really quite hit the nail on the head there. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, a mystery abounds, and I quite like that. I also, and this will link in with uh, what I'll have to say about Jared Harris later, I like the fact that the orderlies aren't sex pests. Yeah. Because that's refreshing. Because almost every time I've seen anything set in a mental institution or a hospital where people are in comas, the orderlies are rapists. Yeah, poor old Sarah Connor gets a good old licking from yeah. one. Yeah. Um, and I bet they're not all rapists. No, not all. I think in terms of if you're making a horror or a thriller and you're setting it in an asylum, it's good to have one character who everyone wants to see die. Yeah. And that would be rapey orderly. Yeah. Number two. But there isn't one. <laughs> no. Even the nurse is not, you know, she she looks like a bit of a nurse rap chick. She's got reward yeah. and everything, mm -hmm. but she's not that bad. No. So I just think it's nice that they've got a fair, True. A fair deal this time. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I'd agree with all that. No, thank you. What didn't you like? Okay. Right, well, you know, I'm signed up for a horror film and... I was not scared. There's nay horror in it. <laughs> no, there isn't. Uh, John Carpenter, his thing is the jump scare, I would say. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's shocks and heart pounding and tension. And there, there isn't any of that in this. Mm. There's, there's one sequence that almost gets her. I'm going to say almost. It doesn't achieve it, but it almost gets her where she, she's running around the asylum. Not the first time it's happened, but mm. uh, her and one of the survivors gets into a dumbwaiter and it goes up, and it looks like something bad's happened, and then the dumbwaiter's coming back down, down, and you're not sure whether a corpse is going to fall out, whether um, the ghost is going to jump out, mm -hmm. or whether the orderly's going to get to her before it comes down. And then she gets into the dumbwaiter, and you're not sure what's going to happen in the dumbwaiter, or when she gets out of the dumbwaiter. And I just get the feeling if he was on his own game, that would be a brilliant sequence. Mm -hmm. And instead, it's, it's an all right, it's a passable bit of tension. Yeah, I think I stopped watching halfway through that bit. Because oh, I wasn't entirely <laughs> sure what happened to the other girl who got in the dumbwaiter. We never find out. Oh, do we not? Oh, no, because okay. in my head, I thought at the very end, the twist would be it's her who's in the body of Alice Hudson, who's, you know, they're, they're all inhabiting. That makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. That, that, clearly that's been changed for Amber Heard to jump out of a mirror. Right, okay. okay. I don't know if officially oh, it's been Oh, I feel changed, a bit better now that I didn't... That just, it wasn't just me completely missing the, the point there. Um, it also doesn't do, and this should be kind of like a basic as well, the deaths, the, in a horror film like this, the deaths should be discreet, they should be memorable, and they should probably escalate. Yeah. And it doesn't do that. I can kind of remember how three of them go, but the first one is very quick uh, mm -hmm. and, and not gory, it's not scary, It's it, there's nothing to it really. Um, and then there's one... Uh, the 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 the, the one which I would say probably is the the grimmest kill, which is like an electrocution. It's just the the style isn't there. The production's not there. Mm. The the CGI is terrible. We could talk about the ghost in a second. Yeah. Um. Because that that you know the CGI thing is an issue there as well. But you know, and I don't want to like hammer on. Oh, I know it's been a while since we've actually said this because we've not watched a horror. Mm. on the podcast for a while. Horror, horror is your flavour, that's how you like it. Yeah, mm. but there's nothing wrong with makeup and um, and using makeup and special effects. You know, you know, just not constantly relying on CGI because back in, back in 2010 as well, it, you know, 
It wasn't there. It still wasn't there. It still looks terrible. It looks cartoonish. It looked like a TV. I think show. in the main, the, the the ghost is a girl in makeup, a young lady in makeup. But yeah, but they this they weird have, ripply yeah. thing over her, which looks stupid. I I would say clearly there's been a decision that this girl in makeup needs more, and that more needs to be some kind of CGI movement of her body, some kind of coursing. <laughs> yeah, but then there's things that as well that you know. You just the, you, okay it's, it's stealing it i suppose from japanese horror but if you're gonna have a girl ghost mm-hmm. and you're not gonna have it being all wispy lines and stuff mm-hmm. like that you know the the old cracking of the neck and the cracking of the joints and the jerky yeah. movements mm-hmm. and stuff like that it's why wouldn't you do that the japanese oh, have got it down true uh, yeah I, I, instead she, it looks like a girl walking along a corridor she, her hair is immaculate she's got this weird like crepey brown skin mm-hmm. and like kind of nail dirty old nails yeah. and then just gorgeous hair mm. well what I, what I would say about that is she looks quite a lot like one of the ghosts of mars almost um, as if they've used the same makeup job again right yeah it's poor it's poor anything else you didn't like um yeah the, i mean the acting's pretty ropey we said before that it's uh like kind of girl interrupted with a ghost but I'm not, I'm not expecting, you we're know, not getting Winona Winona Ryan, Angelina <laughs> Jolie and yeah. Brittany Murphy levels no. of acting ability. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. Mm-hmm. But this ranges from mediocre to god-awful. The one who survives the longest. I, the, the four actresses who aren't Amber Heard, mm-hmm. one of them I think was in How I Met Your Mother. The other three, yeah. I don't know who they are. Oh, no, well, Mamie Gummer, well, yeah, yeah. Um, is obviously... You've got three girls who look like Katie Holmes, Mamie Gummer <laughs> and Amber Heard. Yeah, um, and... The one that they keep alive the longest is the absolute worst actress of the bunch. Mm-hmm. And yes, she's got the hardest job because her disorder is that, you know, she's a, a child. Yeah. Like she's arrested development or whatever they call mm-hmm. it. Um, and, but, oh my God, it's so awkward every time she opens a squeaky little mouth to say something. Yeah, I agree. I agree. She is the low light in terms of the acting in the film. I'd say, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't want to get massively into who's good and who's bad because they are essentially playing fake personalities mm. rather than but there's a way to do it that's either convincing or showy and it's neither of those things it just feels like a poor take each time yeah but the, the whole point of the personalities the characters around the main character is that they are meant to be distinctive and they have these distinctive disorders and you're as the viewer doing all the hard work in picking out what exactly it is supposedly wrong with them the, maybe gummer in particular doesn't have a defined personality she starts off as thinking oh gosh she's going to be batshit mental yeah and then later on she seems like the most sensible one out of all of them yeah yeah she fluctuates a lot mm. um but the, the other ones are less you know the other ones are, are more kind of obvious and black and white cut and dry and they just mm. they, they should lean into it a bit more there's nothing wrong with a bit of cartoonishness it's a horror film yeah you can be a bit over the top or extreme extreme yeah, yeah. Anything else you didn't like? Mm, I don't know. I think maybe Jared Harris was too nice. Um, this kind of ties in with what I was saying before about it being nice that the the orderlies and the people working in the hospital weren't just out-and-out villains. Mm-hmm. But he is meant to be shady. I think he is meant to be... You're supposed to suspect his motives. Yeah. Uh, but I think he's just, he just... He's too nice. And J- Jared Harris is innately... Um, uh, a trustworthy screen presence, mm. Lane Price, the terror, yeah, Lane Price. Uh, Chernobyl, uh, and 
obviously he should go up and play other things. He's a good actor. He should do other roles. And for a little while, kind of classy, uh, older person in the horror film seemed to be his bread and butter post Mad Men. Yeah. But um, you, you never suspect his motives are anything more than um, caring and mm. to try and kill someone, which in a horror film doesn't massively work. Yeah, and it, it really kind of ruins this because you need there to be a villain. Yeah, I, there's there's a bit of me that thinks, on the whole, multiple personality and they're slowly being chopped down one by one. It didn't need to be a twist because you're pretty much into any horror film nowadays thinking... Is it going to be split personality? Mm. You could watch The Haunting from 1963 and go, oh, are they all the same person? That turns out they're not, which is great. Mm. But that's how you approach it for modernised because you've grown up with psycho and identity and things like this. Yeah. Um, to watch this and it for it to be a reveal after an hour, oh, they're all the same person. You're like, yeah, I knew. I've got mm. it. Yeah, I mean, it's obvious. They're all young girls the same age and they've gone through a trauma and they don't have surnames. There's a bit of what to see the... There's a blackboard in the background of the um, the lounge area with rules on it, mm. and they never stop on it. I wonder if there's just a little forger's note there somewhere about it, but I couldn't see anything in the trivia, and I didn't want to pause the DVD midway through the film to have a look at it. Mm. Um, but I think it would have been better if, after the first half hour, we know they're all different personalities, and they're all trying to survive, and then maybe the personalities themselves being slightly more aware of what's going on are trying to be the dominant personality, and that would be more exciting. Maybe, but then you would have to beef up the horror by having the gory deaths and, you know, mm -hmm. because you know there's no real threat because it's, it's one of them going to survive. Doesn't sound bad to me. Okay. Doesn't sound bad to me. Uh, any other thoughts? Not really. just feel a bit sad. Oh, what are you sad, darling? Because I was really looking forward to watching this and it's not, what I, it's not quite what I wanted. Oh, I'm sorry about that. That's all right. Let's have a little break and we'll do our regular question see if we can pick out something good. Okie dokie. Regular questions. Mm. Who is the Michael Parks of the piece when everyone else was collecting a paycheck? Who put in full effort and really stole the show? I think we're going to disagree here. Mm -hmm. I think the only one who I found convincingly mental, even though it was patchy, was Mamie Gummer. Uh, I felt that she was trying really hard. I don't know why she was trying really hard. Because, you know, she wanted to impress her mom. Yeah. But um, Must be hard being Meryl Streep's daughter and being in films. Yeah, it must be. <laughs> like <it turns> <laughs> um, I suppose people's expectations are going to be so high, whereas, I don't know, Meryl Streep, it's not as if she's consistently great. Like, I don't she's know, it might be a controversial statement. She's but... considered one of the greatest actresses. I'm not a fan either, but she's considered one of the greatest actresses. But, like, kind of, if, uh, let's say, Susan Sarandon's daughter was knocking around, even though I think Susan Sarandon's a better actress and I like her more, I'm not having such high expectations of her daughter. Susan Sarandon's daughter is an actress. Yeah, what's she in? She is in <clears throat> the Banger Sisters or something. No, wait a minute, that's Susan Sarandon. Yeah, she's called something <laughs> Amari, Francesca Amari, isn't it? And that's like? that's wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> but like I say, my I'm not watched her going now. Nah, it's because Mel Streep is it. And this girl's not as good as Susan Sarandon, but I don't think she's got the same kind of pressure. Yeah, which is where, what the original point was. <laughs> <laughs> Well, she's not called Mamie Street, is she? She's Some not, for, might not, for good know. reason. Uh, what did you think of Amber Heard in this? I didn't like her in it. 
Mm. But we're not talking about anything else, are we? No, 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 no. I think Amber Curd came at a time where we seem to get lots of these kind of classically beautiful blondes in films. Blake Lively, Teresa Palmer and... Do you know Teresa Palmer? Well, I was going to say the only one I'm interested in is Blake Lively. I think I'd rather Blake Lively was in this role. Well, she looked like Blake Lively at the beginning. I said, look, she looks like Blake Lively. Well, there we go, then. There we go. (laughs) No, the best one of them is... Very argumentative, Steve, though you agree. Yeah, actually, (laughs) argumentative. Who's the girl I really like who is in Happy Death Day? Uh, Jessica Roth. Yeah, I really need to start remembering her name. Yeah, uh, Someone like her... Take a shot every time we listen to this podcast and Natalie asks me who stars in Happy Death Day. Jessica Roth, Jessica (laughs) Roth, Jessica Roth. Okay. Um, You know, she's got a patch on her. She's... uh, She's really aggressive in this as well. Mm-hmm. She's a very, she, considering that she's someone who's meant to be at the whim of the uh, mental health hospital people. Mm-hmm. You know, she seems to be calling the shots for a lot of it. Yeah, she gets away with whatever she wants, and um, and she's very rude. Yeah, I I would give it to Jared Harris personally. Really, even though he didn't do what he's meant to do. Yeah, but still, he is the best actor in it, and he's not exactly like. He's not leading, he's not he's not like lazily working his way through it, is he? He's no, putting performance. Yeah. Okay, was there any product placement who kicked in some cash to have their wares on show? I don't think so. You're not really allowed the old products in the mental institution. Yeah, I, I didn't obviously notice anything. I don't think the cigarettes were no. a recognisable brand. I would say that John Carpenter puts a few clips of old film and telly on, mm. on the TV, but that's not exactly product placement. No, Fashions were nice. Films. Yeah, the fashions were okay. Not particularly asylum appropriate. No. You think they say you can wear your own clothes, but it's got to be sweats, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to be something we can get you out of quickly when you shit yourself. Yeah, it's, it should be something drab, at least. Mm. Not beautiful paisley patterns. If you could make one change to the board, what would it be? I would lean more into the mystery than the horror, because I don't think it would ever satisfy me as a horror film. Um... And I would make the Jared Harris character much shadier and make him just as much a villain as Alice the ghost. Two changes. No, that is. There was an and, that was one sentence. Okay. <laughs> the, the second part of it just added more to the first part of it. If you could have one thing in McDonald's, what would it be? I would have a quarter pounder and a McFlurry. <laughs> yeah, but you could say a quarter pounder and chips and a drink, and that would just be a quarter pounder meal. <laughs> Where would you cast James Spader in this? I would cast him as Jared Harris, because yeah. at least then you know, oh, he could be a wrong gun. He yeah. could be a bit shady. Ladies would be in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there's none of that. So. There's none of that. We'll but you, you could still, you know, I, I think James Spader could still pull off a villainous figure, even without being sexy. I mean, he could, he could not be sexy, but you know what I mean? I've got you. Should there have been a sex scene in the ward? No. Because these are young girls in a mental institution, it would have to have been a rape. I agree with that, and I don't think there should be a sex in this particular film, but it did, knowing this question was coming up, I did have a little think, and I can't think of many John Carpenter films where there is sex in them. I know Annie. Halloween yeah. has, has some sex. Is there nudity in that sex scene? Yeah, she sits yeah. up in bed. That was something that was missing, no sex scene, but they all have a shower at one yeah. point. You, you see one bit of side boob. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all back. It's all young girl back, young girl back, young girl back, young girl back. Fucking hell, Mamie Gummer, young girl back. Yeah, but like... She's a big girl. She's got a very broad back. Yeah. 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 She looks like a linebacker, whatever that is. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like, one of them, you would think, might have been said on the day, oh, do you know what, go 
one I'll turn yeah. round. I'll have a shower face oh. it away from water. <laughs> yeah, I'll have a million of them to the box office. <laughs> um, but he seems to be someone who shies away from sex and nudity in general, apart from Halloween, which I think probably was a producer. Yeah, well, I mean, there's no boobs in the thing. There's no boobs in the thing, no. But all of them... and. Uh, I'm trying to think there's quite a few kind of directors who make adult films, films for an 18 certificate, but seem to really avoid sex. Mm. Uh, Tarantino, only, the only sex I can think of is Robert De Niro and Bridget Fonda having really awkward comedy sex and Jackie Brown. Yeah, he strikes me as someone who's possibly a little bit scared of sex, though. Just, you yeah. know, the whole feet thing. Yeah. His, his attention is focused elsewhere, and that's fine. You know, yeah. everyone's got their own predilections. And I, I just think it's a slight shame, but, you know, our... Our 18 certificate movie makers don't like a bit of titty occasionally. Yeah. Or, or if we, you know, peen. but I'll peen for you, yeah. you know. Richard Donner, quite happy to have Mel's buns on show. Yeah. <laughs> have you directed that film with um, William Peterson in? <laughs> William Friedkin. <laughs> yeah. So you're thinking to live and die in LA. Yeah. Also director of Cruising. Yeah, that was superb. Yeah. yeah I think me and, me and William Friedkin have probably but, got similar tastes. That, that, I guess that's my point. I get the feeling that William Friedkin understands that some people go to cinema and they want to see some adult aspects to their adult movies. Yeah. And uh, sadly, that seems to be missing these days. Um, so it's annoying when you've got someone who almost exclusively works in the 18th certificate and they're, they're a bit of a Spielberg. Mm. Spielberg's only sex scene is that really awkward scene in Munich where... Uh, uh, Eric Banner almost has PTSD while he has sex. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> That's the oh, only no. one I can think of. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that didn't excite anybody, did it? More fucking in films, please. Which leads us to our last question. Is John Carpenter's The Ward worse or better than Bad Boys? Do you know, I mean, it's it's worse, but I, and that's me being honest, but it's me being honest reluctantly because I know I'm going to watch this again mm-hmm. and I'm going to be disappointed by it, but I would definitely rather watch this than Bad Boys, knowing full well that it's worse. <laughs> and I don't know why. I don't know what that says about me, but I would rather watch this again. Okay. I didn't enjoy it. Okay. I, I, I enjoyed it more than you. Mm. I do think it struggles to fulfil its brief. It's clearly the work of an old master who doesn't care anymore. Mm. Although, yeah, at times some of the shots are really nicely composed. They're not remarkable, but they're you know not unshowy. I, I think it's absolutely fine. I'd say it's the first time I've watched it. I say I enjoy it less each time. It's not a repeat viewer. It's not mm. worth revisiting. But I think it's inoffensive, and there's times where bad boys where the let's say the spicier scenes really stick out. Mm. Whereas this all feels a piece that way through. You wouldn't, you can't really say there's anything that's wrong about the ward. So what side are you coming down on? I'm going to say it's better than Bad Boys, but obviously Bad Boys is the work of a visionary author. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Bay and uh, Michael Bay, I don't think will ever make of a ward. I, don't, I think you'll always feel like you're watching a Michael Bay film. <laughs> Whereas if you didn't know this was John Carpenter's The Ward... You wouldn't know if it's John Carpenter's The Ward. You'll think it's the work of a new director yeah. who's seen a few horror films and hasn't got quite got it quite right yet. Yeah. Next episode, we've got another great director. Oh, yeah. One of their less loved films. Right. One I haven't seen. I don't know if you've seen it. Well, what is it? Spike Lee's She Hate Me. Uh, no. no. I've never even heard of it. It's 
Spike Lee. He's made a film called She Hate Me, and we're going to be watching it for the next podcast. Oh. First time in a while we've watched one we haven't seen before. Never thought we'd do a Spike Lee film on this mm, podcast. He's, he's a bit like one of these directors who makes a film a year, but some of the worst ones just kind of just never, you never hear about them. Right, why do we own this then? It was part of a double with another Spike Lee film, I think School Days. Oh, okay. So, that there we go. It. Oh, wow. That'd be interesting. So, join us next episode. We're monthly now, I think, mm. for Spike Lee, She Hate Me. We've just got better stuff to do. <laughs> Thank you watch, for listening. Watch, watch Buffy and the X Files. <laughs> Go out and get some sun, darling. No. <laughs>